You're listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. Susan, how are you doing? I, I'm glad to be here. I think this is, this is going to be fun for you and I to catch up. It's been, it's been quite a journey. Yeah. Tell the audience who you are. Hey, everybody. I'm Susan C. I live in Austin, Texas with my hubby, Ron. And uh, together we are raising seven world changers. That's our goal. Yeah. And um, Susan is just a good friend. And I'm so glad to have you on this podcast. This is a new podcast and you're on our episode about our anniversary. So we are four years old now. We're still in preschool. We haven't <laughs> launched into school, mm-hmm. but we are four years old. It's unbelievable. And so you've been there since the beginning. I was thinking about just a few people um, from Austin that have been there from the beginning mm-hmm. um, and have kind of tracked with Be The Bridge um, since its inception. Um, I think about our group, which wasn't even called Be The Bridge. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. And um, one of the things is I love your wisdom and, and your, your bio, it says her uncommon wisdom has her in demand. And I'm like, there's just so much wisdom um, that comes from you. And I know people who listen to your podcast, Mentor for Moms, um, get a lot of that practical wisdom and tools and encouragement. And so you have just been an encouragement to me from the beginning. And I want to go back in time a little bit to when we met and see if your when we met lines up when I know that we met because, you know, we get, you know, when the memory gets a little fuzzy, you know, we in the 40s. So, you know, gets a little, we get a little confused. So um, when, you know, so we met in 2000. Now we see, saw each other, but I'm talking about officially met. Mm-hmm. That was in 2014. When do you recall us first meeting? Okay. So I feel like this is a pop quiz. Uh, <laughs> This is what I remember. I be- I believe you were hanging out with Renee. Is that her name? Renee. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, you're good. you're good. I'm trying. I'm really trying uh-huh. to get better with names. And uh, I just remember, my my memory is that we met at If Gathering. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Do and you remember the backstory of me and how we, why we met? Girl, <laughs> yes, I do. Because you were committed to meeting every chocolate woman in the room. <laughs> I love that you described it that way. You're like every chocolate person. Yeah, I'm going to meet you. I'm committed to meeting you. And you could have done that because there was only a few of us in the whole space. So we were easily identifiable. We, and you know that nod, that nod, for those of you who don't know anything about the nod, the um, especially the African-American nod of, I see you I see when you. you're in such a white space. Yes. And um, so I went to If Gathering with a good friend of mine who got um, tickets. I didn't know anything about If Gathering. None of us did. No, we were all there. Why the are we here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why were you there? I forgot. Yeah, what, how did you get connected to it? Uh, I was there because my daughter is a photographer. And yeah. so I, she was doing photography for the event, for okay. one. And two, no, 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 not that first one. My bad, backing it up. I was a part of the studio audience for Jenny's uh, Bible study, one of her Got Bible it. studies. And so she invited everybody there to this event. She said, it would mean a lot to me if you guys came. It's a big thing I'm starting. But uh-huh. nobody knew what it was. So I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. sure, let's go. What are we doing? So <laughs> I just grabbed a friend and I was like, okay, girl, listen, it's about Jesus. And it's, I mean, we'll just do the best we can with it. If it ain't, you know how you do the, if it ain't good, we'll just leave. Kind of. Right, right, right. I was, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, I was on the struggle bus during that time anyway, because I was really questioning God, like, why am I here? Like, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to be doing here? Like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I was feeling isolated and alone and really culturally mourning, you know, mm-hmm. and 
I remember Renee, when she asked me about it, I was like, I don't know who these people are. And it wasn't, I think originally, I think you're right too, um, Susan, there wasn't a lot of information um, that was given on purpose, you know? And so it was something new and it was called If Gathering. And you know what? I was intrigued by the name. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, that sounds good. If Gathering. Mm, And so curiosity brought me there. Yes. And so interesting, you talking about your struggle bus. I came in there on the struggle bus of, I don't, I don't do women's events. I don't do <laughs> the whole, I'm uh-huh. here for such and such name and yeah. the smoke mm-hmm. and the lights and the performance. And I just feel like, what are we doing? Like, is this really right. what we're about? So I was like, I mean, I'm going to come because she invited. It was a personal invitation. So I was trying yeah. to honor that, that extension, but ooh. I was really going, I don't know what we're doing. And I, so I was in there. So my friend Renee was great and she's a networker. And I was so grateful that she invited me. But I remember walking in, despite the fact that there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me or Mm -hmm. anything like that, it was still this warm environment, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and this engaging environment. And then I think that time they were doing the long tables. So it was set up with long tables. And I just never been to a conference like that where it was really about the community and the people around you versus everything that was going on on the stage. And so that was new for me. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why I was able to look for people of color because they had so many different conversation times Mm -hmm. where... It was, you know, asking you to get up out your seat and go engage with someone else, you know. So I remember seeing Susan. I was like, I've seen her before. I don't Mm -hmm. know her. I need to meet her. (laughs) (laughs) And it was kind of like one of those, I see you. We locked eyes across the room. And it was kind of like, you know, walking towards each other. We're going to make our way. We're going to make our way. Yes, in the midst of this crowd. And and that was it. That Mm -hmm. right there was it. I I think we exchanged information. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also I met Kim Patton there Mm -hmm. and a few other ladies. And I was thinking like, okay. Yes, Tori. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm Ryan. Ryan, mm-hmm. I met Ryan there. And um, I think I, I remember just saying, um, like, you know what? Like, oh, I think, you know, because that same day, now this is this crazy thing. That same day when I was just really going there, I told you I was in like a down place. I I, I was on my way there and I was thinking like, okay, God, you got to show me what you got. You know, you, you're bringing me here for like this. This is ridiculous. And, and I remember hearing the word, be the bridge that day. That was the first time I heard the word. Be no the way. Bridge, but oh, it did make interesting. It did not make any connection. But in my head, the way I was connecting it was, I'm going to be the bridge like with brown people. <laughs> 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 That's what I was thinking. So I'm getting all these, if, these this information because you remember the second meeting we had. You remember after that. We all, like, before we met with Jenny, mm-hmm. me, you, Ryan, Tori, we all met at this tea place um, at the Domain. Right. Yeah. We met at this tea place, and then it was like, I was thinking about this thing, do you remember, called Mocha Leaders. <laughs> yes! Yes, you I remember, do remember. I forgot about you. Yes. Because <laughs> we were going to all get together. We were going to come together and form a sisterhood. Like, we were yes. going, yes. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to find one another in Austin. We were going to change that. Yes. We Mm -hmm. were like, we're going to be a network of helping other women connect, other brown women connect. That's what we think. We met. We had this conversation. It was great. My friend Selah, you remember Selah was there? Yes, I do. You brought your daughter. One of your daughters, I think think it was Aisha, Mm -hmm. um, was there. And then... um, I think I followed up after that, after I met with you guys, I met with Kim Patton Mm -hmm. and we had um, coffee and she was saying, you know, she knew Jenny and she was, um, she, I think she had had some personal conversations with Jenny with some of the work she was doing in restorative justice. And she was like, you know what, I think I'm going to reach out to her Mm -hmm. and see if we can meet with her about this because we were talking about the the how we enjoyed the conference but just the lack of diversity you know and all that Mm -hmm. 
And we, so we did that and we ended up meeting with Jenny. Mm-hmm. And I, when I said, well, I'm going to invite, because I think you and I had spoke about it and I knew you were there at the conference. So I invited you to mm-hmm. the lunch. And then I think Kim brought another friend. So it was like four of us and one of Jenny. Exactly. <laughs> and just Jenny. <laughs> yeah, and just Jenny. And we did the surprise. Look, yeah, we the did. black woman surprise. Hello. Hello. Have a seat. <laughs> have a seat. Let's have a talk. That's right. You know? But the thing is, she took that thing like a champ, though. She did. She stayed there. You remember? Mm-hmm. She did. <laughs> she hung in there. She hung in there. She hung in there. Um, um, but yeah, so that's how we met. And then, you know, the rest is, is history. Like, I mean, anything I think of significantly that we've done would be the bridge from the launch to the first videotaping um, to the prayer over me. You have been in the midst. You've been a great support. Um, just for this organization, not just for the organization, but for me personally, like you were a lifeline in all in Austin uh, when I needed it. And mm-hmm. so and your family, being able to connect with your family mm-hmm. um, and, you know, meeting your 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 mom. And I think I remember I think you also invited me to thank Thanksgiving in <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. We would do that. Thanksgiving, or I can't remember where it w- when it was, but yeah. But it's just it's just been a journey, and so I'm grateful for it. But I want our audience to know a little bit more about Susan C. and and I want to talk about just some of our time together. Mm-hmm. And just our journey, like when we were meeting with that group. So out of our conversation with Jenny, we developed um, kind of like the first group in discussion. And and then we, uh, I think one of the things happened while we were meeting, I think two months into a, a meeting, um, Ferguson happened. Mm-hmm. And what do you, you know, what do you recall from that time, you know, during our time we were meeting and Ferguson happening, and what are some of the things that stand out to you from that time? Hmm. I think one of the joys in my life is calling people out when I see their giftedness Mm -hmm. and really speaking to that, because I think it's difficult for people to see their own gifts and to see what they are doing and how they're impacting other people. So Mm -hmm. at that time, as I watched you stepping into this, it was a joy to watch the gift that God has given you in this particular area begin to shine a little bit of light. It's like we were getting little peekaboos of it. Mm -hmm. So when Ferguson happened, just after we formed this group of getting together just to talk is how we framed it initially. Like Jenny's like, I've got some friends. Would it be okay if I bring my friends and would you bring some other women and let's get together? We didn't have an official Mm -hmm. title. We didn't have a name. We didn't even have like a defined outline for how we were going to run it. We were just (laughs) showing up and having a conversation. So Ferguson was like this outward confirmation that this is the conversation to have. That these are the things to be discussing and these are the issues at hand. These are not personal experiences of a few of us here in Austin. This is a national, global conversation to have around how we in the body of Christ are responding to this Mm. issue that it would be easy to ignore if it doesn't directly affect you. Right, right, right. And I, I'm not going to lie. I was surprised. Like, we didn't talk about what each person did in the group. Like, I don't think that really came out until later. We didn't mm-hmm. really know them. We were not, nobody was enamored with anyone because we know you. Right. I never read a book, never read a blog, mm-hmm. <laughs> none of that, you know, didn't even know. Um, but you know, there was some, there were some funny moments now that I I think back, there was some funny moments and then there were some, just some, like some, not so funny, but some funny moments. What are some <laughs> of those moments that stood out to you um, <clears throat> during that time? Like whether it's funny or not so funny. <laughs> well, I, I think that true to uh, you and I, we always want to have food 
when we gather, right? Yeah. And I remember yeah. when we first started meeting, it was always like, who's bringing snacks? And what <laughs> snacks are you bringing? And did you make that? How did you make that? Like we had all these questions yes. around food. And it's like for us, and I think in our culture, that whole gathering it always involves food. We don't just gather just to look in each other's faces. Like somebody got to be eating something, right? Like, so <laughs> I think they really wanted to get together and talk. And we wanted, <laughs> we wanted to make sure there was a full table of <laughs> snacks. It just reminded me of something. Uh, it reminded me of something, Susan, where we went every time. The, the other thing we would do just telling this to the audience is that as we would meet, we would also do social gatherings. So, Mm -hmm. so whether that was dinner, lunch, happy hour, um, you know, I think we did a cookout. We did the Mm -hmm. MLK March, like all kinds of things that we would do outside of our meeting time. And one time we went to a restaurant. Oh yes. And and it was like a tapas restaurant. It was was like, we always go to tapas restaurants and like (laughs) these like wine bars, tapas restaurants. And it's cool, but tapas ain't cheap, right? Hello. And we get, (laughs) we would get this small plate of like Brussels sprouts. But then everybody got to share it. Rice (laughs) with little chunks of chicken in it. I'm like, like, wait, it's dude, a meal. I haven't eaten all day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and we were looking at each other. And yeah. I remember you said, uh, I mean, you said, you said, we were, I said, oh, another one of these small plates, places. And you said, look, I want the platters, the platters. I need to have the platters. The platters, not the tapas. What is this? <laughs> Oh my God. So every time I go to a restaurant that's a tapas restaurant, I think about you talking about the platters, not the tapas <laughs> places. So anyway, that and so I think some of that too, just being able to laugh at ourselves and kind of we would debrief. So I remember when everybody would leave, like, you know, we would debrief a about the debrief and the debrief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, which was good. And, you know, and I think, you know, we just had some really good, honest conversation, but I, I think you're right. It's like the things that started happening during mm-hmm. that season mm-hmm. that made national news, like this conversation, you knew like this is on God's heart. We were already engaging in that conversation already starting to look underneath the brokenness and, mm-hmm. and, and starting to connect the dots and stuff like that. So what, um, how, how did the group, um, you know, kind of challenge your life, you know, or some of the friendships challenge your life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say that would be a tremendous, uh, challenge for sure. Uh-huh. Um, I think that that what's important to point out, you know, as we're doing a reflection and looking back for uh-huh. people who are seeing where you are now and the impact that you're having now, it seems mm. as if you had a plan all along and like <laughs> you knew where you were going. And I just want to mm-hmm. emphasize for people that we gathered because we could see a need and there was an interest, a response from Jenny and her friends of interest. And we were just trying we didn't have a plan. I just want to emphasize yeah. like that. There was no agenda. No. There was none of that. And so interacting with people I did not know, um, mm-hmm. only later to learn how influential these people were. I had no idea. Uh, I mm-hmm. was just coming to be my authentic self. And I am so committed to that. I don't know if it's being mm-hmm. in my 40s or if it's just where I am in my relationship with God, that it's just time out for me around... Um, performing or trying to look a certain way or fit in or be a certain group of people's friends. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be truly and authentically me. And Mm -hmm. so when I came into those conversations, I was like, if we're going to talk about the real, let's talk about the real. Yeah. And you know, I got plenty of eyebrows raised by people like, Oh, I, I I don't think I was, I don't think I was ready. Like, wow. (laughs) Right. Right. <laughs> I think you went in the first day. You and Jenny were ready to like go like, oh, yeah. okay, let, no. I've been waiting for this. And I'm that. thinking like, oh, women. Everybody what, was what? like, hold on. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because I turned to her and was like, let's talk to you. Yes. You. Let's go. <laughs> Me and you. And people were like, wait a minute. 
wait a minute. I was like, oh, I mean, I thought that's what we were here for. What are we doing? Like, y'all have to yeah. tell me. Y'all need to let me know. <laughs> I think that's good. I remember that. I remember that. And then it, it, it got there. We got to have some, some conversations, but I like to let people know, like, originally we didn't have, like, a guide. We didn't mm-hmm. have questions where you can really dig real deep and get underneath, you know, some of um, the dialogue that we have now going on with that. So it kind of had to happen organically, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, and that's harder to do when you don't have this real set agenda, just knowing that we need to have this conversation. It's painful. And then realizing that the people who were in this group, they didn't have a lot of um, background information, you know, the context and historical things. I just remember you us telling stories and mm-hmm. people, their mouth would be open about how um, Regina, I think Regina told the story when she's a little girl, they went downtown Austin to buy a gift for their mother for Mother's Day. They have been saving up all year. And she was the youngest. I think she was like six or seven. Mm-hmm. And how they went to, I think, Woolworths downtown, her oldest sister, and I think it, it may have been another sister and she was the baby. Mm-hmm. And they went and how they went into the store to get a Mother's Day gift and how they were cursed at and escorted out the store. Right. And they really didn't understand because one of the things a lot of people tried to shield their children from the pain and the disparities. And mm-hmm. so because of trauma, it wasn't talked about a lot with your kids because you didn't want your kids to feel inferior. Right. Um, And so, and unless you were prepping them, if you were going somewhere, but I remember her telling that story and I just remember tears like, you know, that day um, Mm -hmm. just hearing that. And I remember thinking like, wow, like we live in a bubble, like no one had ever heard this. And so it just really brought up some things in the development of Be The Bridge. We have to, I understand and the news that you consume, you know, um, the papers that you read. If no one's telling the story, you or, or how someone's telling the story, you get their narrative versus the person that's experiencing it, exactly. um, their narrative. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and we can see that now, you know, it depends on which news channel you're listening to, according to which narrative you get, you know. And so, so that's the you know, that's true. And I think that even as she shared that story and other ones of us in the room, in the group shared stories, it was interesting to me to watch the people of color in the room, um, nod and understand and go, I, I believe you like not this automatic. I believe you because I get it. Like I could Mm -hmm. see that happening or I've experienced it personally, but to see for other people in the room, like shock, like, like what? That's unbelievable. And not unbelievable like they didn't believe, but just it was a first for them and it was a whole new experience. Whereas for the rest of us, we're like, girl, yeah, that was my brother, my cousin, <laughs> my sister, that was myself. Like we we've been there, done yeah. that. This is familiar. Right. And I know I think your stories were because you your family was from the Virginia area. Right. Exactly. Right. And I think I don't I I may be getting the story wrong, tying it with someone else's stories, but you can tell the audience that this is correct. But we I remember having this discussion about the Green Book um, Mm -hmm. in one of our meetings. And I think you were saying that either you're someone in your family owned a record service or a. um, Oh, my grandfather. Yeah. Yeah, he was a mechanic for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so <clears throat> he was like listed on there. So if people would have car trouble right. during that time, they knew like he was one of those people, right. African-American business owners that would get a call, mm-hmm. you know, because of say, tell a little bit about that a little bit. Yeah, a little bit about yeah my story. grandfather was um, in World War II. He was a mechanic. Mm-hmm. He had his wow. own mechanic shop for 50, over 50 years. And um, he was a stable in the community. Everybody knew him. And he was listed as, you know, a mechanic that Black travelers could trust. So if they Mm. had car issues on the side of the road, he would get a call in the middle of the night. He would go out and get the family off the side of the road. He would bring them back to my mom's house. You know, so they were used to in the middle of the night having a family show up. My grandmother would get in the kitchen and fix, the, you know, some coffee and maybe a little something to snack on and make Mm -hmm. them feel comfortable and and that they're safe. They're off the side of the road. 
while my grandfather would go back and get the car, bring it to the shop, figure out what repairs needed to happen, and you know, just to mm-hmm. keep them in the loop about how he was repairing the car. And mm-hmm. so it was this community effort to show assistance because travel was unsafe. Right. Um, they didn't know where to go, and they needed this this green book became a resource for safety. It was like, if we can make it from here to here, we know we've got somebody, if we can make it from here to here. So I I can only imagine what it was like for families to travel in that time when they were in between places where they recognized that for this next stretch, we don't necessarily have a Mm -hmm. safe contact. So uh, we want to keep our eyes open and, you know, we want to make sure we're gassed up. We want to make sure that everybody's used the bathroom between here and there, because it's not a good place for us to stop. Wow. Yeah. And we see that so many times. I think there's been some headline stories just within the last five years, four years of people who have been in accidents and went to search out help and was basically seen as a criminal. And two of those people ended up dead as they were seeking help. Mm -hmm. Uh, One, seeking help from a homeowner that Mm -hmm. thought they were um, a burglar, but they had just, they were kind of delusional and had wrecked their car and it was nearby. Um, They were the closest house. Um, The other one um, was shot um, by the police in in the yard, begging and pleading had his car went in a ditch. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's what fear can do. And so I Mm -hmm. think that's so poignant when, you know, I'm thinking like, wow, if those, those uh, people that that happened to, I cannot think of the names right now, but if they would have had something on their phone to say, you know, this is, this is the area and this is a house that you can go to um, Mm -hmm. for safety. And this isn't, you know, we're talking about, it's 2020 now, but we're talking about this, this is like stuff that was happening in 2014, 2015, 2016. So it's like, we almost need that today. Right. Sadly, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, and I think that's just to think about how instrumental and maybe how many lives that um, were saved because we know Virginia was no joke. Oh, <laughs> still isn't, you know, it's still the South. It was mm-hmm. still below the Mason Dixon line. So, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> so. I also remember sharing the story at the group because you know, I, I, I had a concern being in the group. Mm-hmm. I had several concerns, but one of yeah. my concerns was sharing stories of my grandparents and my parents, which made it feel as if this was an old issue. And right. this, this hasn't happened to us personally. These are things we grew up hearing, which then gives people the excuse in their minds to say, well, see, that was then. Now things mm-hmm. are different. Or this is not the same day as it was for them. So when I shared the story of me being in college and coming, I was going to college here in Texas and I had gone home mm-hmm. for spring break to visit my family. And some friends of mine from my college were also in the area. So instead of paying for a flight to come home, which would have been expensive. We, I hopped in their car and we were coming home together. So we were driving down along the East Coast, driving down 95. And we did the usual stop. We stopped somewhere in South Carolina at a Waffle House because, hello, Waffle House is open 24 hours. It would allow us to just get some cheap food and keep moving down the road. So we pulled into a Waffle House in the middle of the night and uh, we were waiting for our food. And just as our food arrived, the doorbell, like the bell on the door chimed to say the door was opening and all these people started flooding in. Not unusual for Waffle Mm -hmm. House in the middle of the night. But as I'm sitting, the people, as they go by our table, I can look up and see them. And on the backs of their shirts, they have burning crosses and KKK uh, symbols and you know words of burn and um, all the, all these different phrases and images that were just terrifying. And I tried my best to remain calm, and mm-hmm. I made eye contact with my friends, and I said, "We need to go now because here we are, three black college students." This was mm-hmm. pre cell phones, so our parents just know that we left. They don't know where we mm-hmm. are on the road. And we'll call them when we get home. So in between that, they're just like, they're on the road. This is all they have. So there's no way for us to contact anyone. Um, Instantly feeling completely unsafe. Because now it's Mm -hmm. like, who did they just happen to come in? Did someone, one of their friends work at the restaurant and go, hey, we got three black kids here in the middle of the Mm -hmm. night by themselves. And so we 
left money on the table. You know, we left everything, like not even trying to um, like, can we get changed? Like we were not in that. We were just like, here's the money, we're out. And uh, we got in the car and then we're in the car watching behind us to make sure headlights don't come. For several Mm. miles, we're watching to look to make sure we're not being followed. And Mm. that created, that changed our whole trip. So what started out as three college students just going down the road, ha ha, we're going to have a good time, became this terrifying experience to realize we still live in a country where we're made to feel unwanted, made to feel unsafe, and we really don't know where we can go to get that sense of safety. So our Mm. best thing is just to hope the sun rises sooner so that we can have more people out on the road and maybe find some safety, at least in numbers. Wow. I remember that story. And that was one of the things that we kept, you know, reiterating during the group time is that, you know, we were telling some historical context, but like really talking about things that were happening. And I remember just a conversation around Ferguson and um, I forget who was in the group that said this, like, if I wouldn't have been in this group, I would have never had this perspective. I would have never gained this perspective unless I was talking to someone with a different lived experience. Because if I would have seen this and how it was playing out on the news, Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm going to believe what I'm told to believe versus looking underneath and looking deeper at the systemic issues just in that entire community and how these injustices were handled um, because this was a black body and how it would have been handled if this was a white 18 year old kid that was left to um, lay out on a sidewalk for four hours. Hello. You know, and so I think that's, you know, that was just some really good conversations that we had, even though we didn't have a guide or anything. But when we start, you know, when we're thinking about restorative justice, um, you know, what 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 comes to mind? You know, um, what does this look like to you? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it looks like um, entering in when everything about me wants to not do that. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's clear to others the difficulty of this work and Mm. the vulnerability and the places you have to be willing to go with Mm -hmm. your stories. Um, Mm -hmm. I've not only been a part of the original group, but since helped to lead a couple of groups. And um, that work was quite Mm. taxing. I constantly have said, you know, I don't know how Tasha does it. I don't know how Tasha does it. Like, I just keep saying, I don't know how she does it. Because it's this, um, it's entering in to a a retelling of things that are painful and difficult. So for me, restorative Mm -hmm. justice, the part that I hang out on is the willingness to have those honest conversations and to not shelter the feelings, um, but to, to be able to bring the full story forward with the expectation and the hope that this helps to bridge some understanding and empathy and compassion mm-hmm. from the other side. Just like you said, um, someone said in the group, I would have never had this perspective if I hadn't mm-hmm. been a part of this group. And hoping that opening the eyes of that perspective helps to create change. Yeah. That's good. And what, you know, you're always good at like, like you said, pulling out the gifts and seeing and just speaking life. I, you're one of those life speakers, you know, and, um, you know, what, what do you see for, um, this been four years. So uh, what do you see for Be The Bridge or what would you like to see for Be The Bridge in the next four years? Mm. Oh, I like both of those. What do I see <laughs> and what would I like to see? Okay. So <laughs> I see that you guys are starting to reach out to youth, which I think is a powerful opportunity. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that the youth right now, especially, I don't know if Be The Bridge has TikTok, but child, if y'all could get out there and rescue some of the foolishness that's going on out there. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you're aware of the racist stuff that's trending out there on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. I I, I saw some of it. I yes. saw some of it. Um, I've got we did have people. some of our students create a TikTok, um, but I, and I have a TikTok. I, I just don't know how to TikTok. Right. 
right? It's really beyond us, isn't it? It's yeah, just like, yeah, it's not yeah. For we'll us. we'll it's have for to get other the people out there. Right. Well, tell me about some of the stuff that's mm-hmm. going on out there. So, like, some of the parents that may not know. I mean, this is your thing right here. Like, what are some of the things that you're seeing? I do know one viral um, situation that happened. I think in Carrollton, Georgia, here where the girl was going to make some black people and then she Mm -hmm. poured out all this derogatory stuff and stereotypes and racist Mm. um, uh, stuff as how she saw black people. I remember that situation. What are some other things going on? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. There's um, definitely uh, what's happened is the youth have recognized that saying polarizing, ugly, derogatory things gets them views. Mm. And in their selfish pursuit of fame and likes and views, they're saying, they're just stringing together any number of stereotypes and derogatory comments and um, any kind of terms they think they can be triggering enough to get people to come view. They're Mm -hmm. so, I'm going to believe that they're so selfish to want to be famous that they Mm -hmm. are, are putting this content out there not Mm. fully understanding the impact and why they're not allowed to say things like the N-word, why they should Mm. never say that, want to say that, why they should not perpetuate stereotypes, why they should not attempt to imitate other cultures, um, and just so many other hideous things that are happening out there Mm. uh, because it's impacting youth who think they're just there on an app for a fun time, a funny video, Um, and they're being impacted by this. Like I had a conversation Mm -hmm. with my daughter today who's 16 and I was like, have Mm -hmm. you seen these things? And she says, I have. And it's difficult Mm -hmm. because I don't necessarily see the original video, um, because the way it's set up, people can respond to videos and, you know, like offer corrections. So she said, I see a lot of the correction videos, but even in that I'm being exposed to the ugliness that was said the first time and I don't like Mm. it. And I was like, so now we're having that conversation with her about how does she guard her heart? How does she engage on in the public sphere in a way that's still healthy for her own soul? Mm. Because these children are producing this content. So if there are parents that are listening and your kids are on TikTok, I would say go check to see what kind of content they're they're producing. Because if they're having conversations at the table about how many likes they're getting or how many more people are following them or how much more engagement they're getting, find right. out why. Like, mm. Why are more people there with them? Because we don't want to assume that it's all for good reasons. We want to know that that's the reason. So oh, that's good. we really want to be involved and check in on that because this is not harmless content that's being created. There's harm that's being done. And there are stereotypes that are being perpetuated. And our words have impact and they have impact for good. We get to choose whether that impact is for good or not. And mm. our tongues are powerful. The word of God tells us that. So we want to make sure we use it well. Right. And I could imagine now, you know, as we're recording this, we're in the midst of um, most of us stay, stay at home orders due to the um, pandemic um, of COVID-19. So a lot more kids are on TikTok. You know, some of it has been a respite, but I, that's some great advice, um, Susan, mm-hmm. to, to really. But yeah, I think the youth is definitely, um, you know, that's on my heart. That's my background. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't feel like you can move this conversation forward um, without engaging um, the youth. We just had a uh, online youth uh, conference and it was incredible. We had um, about 85 kids on there and it was over two days over the weekend after they had been on Zoom the entire week. And then they came on on our Zoom. We had a live DJ now. Oh, okay. We had live DJ. We had breakout sessions, you know, where they could process. And we gave giveaways, gift cards, and money. You know, they love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, just to see, and it was just such a good, it wasn't like, and this is the thing, it wasn't all African-American kids. It was just such a good blend of students. Mm-hmm. And that was so hopeful for me. So I, the youth, although there are some that are going to be um, ignorant and naive and repeat the same mistakes, mm-hmm. there are others who want to know that don't right. have context that you know are leaning in that showed up. And ask questions. Now they probably got an earful, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, but 
you know, not to be afraid. And so that's one of the things as it relates to reproduction and be the bridge is, you know, we tell people this is a lifestyle. It starts with you. It starts mm-hmm. with your family. Mm-hmm. So how are you leading your family in this? Not so much as like, how are you doing this in your community? How are you doing this at your church? You know, how many books you're reading? Who, what, you know, podcasts you're listening to? All that. How are you training your children? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how are you talking to your parents or your uncle or your mm-hmm. aunt the same racist comments at the at the conversation you know at the table and then for us as as you know black women you know i i find it you know just sometimes so painful when i even talk to our kids and they have no context of history right like it's like they have, and then they're dealing with internalized racism. Like they're so ignorant to our history that they don't even understand what racism is either. Right. You know? And so, yeah, we definitely want to change that. So that is something that we're hopeful for yes. um, right now. Okay. Now I get to say what I, what I look forward to seeing in you yes. and in be the bridge. And I would, it's a challenge. So I'm just going to admit that it's a challenge, girl. Okay. okay. Uh, but how to guard and protect the soul care of yes. the people of color who engage yes. in this conversation yes. and how to ensure that there's a safe, protected space for them as they engage with the groups, but there's a safe place for them to come back. Cause it's, um, I'm going to tell you my own experience in a group, just in case there's other leaders out there. I want to, I want to talk about um, some of the challenges. So one of the most important things to me, because my background is I have a degree in psychology and now I have Mm -hmm. a certification as a life coach. And so guarding people's stories is big for me. So Mm. when we go into a group and we say, what we say here in this group is for this group, this is Mm -hmm. our space and it's a safe space and you don't protect that. Mm-hmm. There's a sacredness that's broken there mm-hmm. and there's a, a lack of safety. And so when you're mm-hmm. in a group, you hear someone's hard stories and then you go outside the group and you share what mm-hmm. they said and you talk about their stories openly to other people, not a part of the group. You break the potential good for that group. Yeah. Break the good. back of it. Because if we don't have trust in our groups, we have nothing. We have right. nothing. We're just another group just meeting and chatting. And this, this has the potential to be so, it has the potential to be life-changing. Mm. So let's enter into the life-changing potential that God wants to do in and through everybody in the group. And that's not in our haste to share in our own discomfort, in our own insecurities. Break mm-hmm. that. Let's not do right. that. That's so good. So good. And I think that is right on. Um, That piece has been really difficult because it's like, you know, people of color who are helping lead and and guide these conversations. um, It is painful work, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, I'm praying that um, with the guide that we have coming out for people of color, is going to help with that. And we did do, and you can probably check it out. We did do um, just a couple weeks ago, we did a series in our people of color group on um, online um, on, and on Facebook uh, on racial healing, racial trauma by mm. Sheila um, Wise Rowe. And that has been a resource that we've recommended, but there's so much more um, to be done, um, you know, and, and that is so important, like what you just said. And, I, and I, this is what I love to hear. Like, we have to talk about the challenges, mm-hmm. you know, that we have in, you know, within these groups and how we can um, at least try to create this brave space. It's not really, it's going to be hard to be safe because what's safe for you is not safe for me. And what's safe for me may not be safe for you. For when we start looking at our audiences, what's safe mm-hmm. for people of color is totally different. What's safe for, for white people True. and what's safe for white people is totally different. It's like, it's oppressive to us, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, funny, not funny, you know what I'm saying? But it is, it's like opposites. And so, I think that is going to be some great work over the next um, four years too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Now, 
Okay, you get to dream a little bit. You're a dreamer mm-hmm. and you've done some incredible things. So those of you who don't know, Susan is just a fantastic businesswoman also. Um, she and her husband do a lot of stuff, you know, um, as it relates to their personal business. And if money wasn't a limit mm-hmm. and there was no obstacles or barriers, if there were no obstacles or barriers, what would you dream of doing to move this conversation of racial healing and reconciliation forward? If money wasn't a limit, mm-hmm. you're not thinking about obstacles because as soon as we start thinking about a solution, we start thinking about obstacles and barriers. Mm-hmm. None of that existed in this world. Mm-hmm. What would you do? Oh, that's so funny. I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because I, I had thought of a, a couple of ideas and immediately I thought of, well, I know why that won't work. So exactly. um, it's so challenging. <laughs> it, it's really, I really want to stress this. It's challenging yeah. to dream of what's possible when you yeah. feel like the dreams have been stolen and knocked down and crushed mm. so many times. Ooh, but so to turn good. around and dream again and to mm. hold out that hope with this extension of believing maybe it's possible, it feels mm. so risky. It Ooh, you preach it now. You preach it. You preach So recognize that I'm doing my best to dream big and I'll probably think yeah. of something better later. But this is what came right. to mind. Okay. If we could have some cultural literacy training in schools that was part of the learning curriculum across grades, I'm not talking about one time in eighth grade, we had a little piece of a something. Right. But it's so normative as much as a history curriculum or anything mm-hmm. else that we understood cultural differences in a way mm-hmm. of celebrating them, not studying them as if we want to examine them under a microscope, but mm-hmm. of celebrating the different cultural literacy and having cultural literacy I think mm-hmm. it, would, it would go a long way to breaking down a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of hurt and harm that can happen even amongst different cultural groups within the people of color. Yeah. Even more as we're interacting with um, dominant culture. So I think it's important for us to have cultural literacy, not as a one-time conversation, not as a, we read a book this one time, but mm-hmm. as a across the, the experience of education K through 12 and beyond. Um, And in that, having some type of counseling, healing space for people of color, in particular Black people, Mm. uh, I think it's it's huge. Because, uh, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you why I stress Black people, because in case somebody's like, why just Black people? Because at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. most of the pushback, harm, Systemic issues that are continually repeated in this country is mm-hmm. towards the black people in this country. Yeah, anti blackness is real. It really has an extra weight on the black culture, and we need to acknowledge that and work to heal the harm that's been done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just um, talking to a Native American friend that said the same thing like, it's like we we don't want it to be just a binary discussion like you know black we don't want to make everything a black and white issue but it is such a prominent issue because you have so much anti-blackness happening in you know other groups of color you know also and so we have to stress that because it's a part of the way white supremacy functions in the foundation of it and so um that is so I mean, what you just said is spot on. Um, And you can look at some examples of that with Germany and how, you know, they teach against the ideology of Nazism to have it never repeated. Mm -hmm. And so they had to look at ways that this mindset, this um, was happening. And it started with youth and it was over a 10 year, you know, span of time. And, And so that's why, in Germany now, they can't homeschool their children. You know, so some people may say, that's oppressive, that's my right, I can homeschool, whatever. But over there, because they are trying to counter 
you know, um, how things were done before. That's a system that they set up. Now, for us, a lot of times people who, especially African-Americans who, who homeschool, you're homeschooling so that you can put in, mm-hmm. you know, cultural contents and cultural literacy that's not being done at the school level, you know? Right. So it's kind of like this totally different um motivations in that sense. But I, I um, just interviewed um, someone else. And when I asked that question, their thing related to the same thing um, related to schools, because we know that's how change happens. So I think you're, you're onto something. We're onto something. We need to see, like, we got, like, how do we make this dream a reality? I mean, we, we keep speaking those things that are not as though they are. I'm just saying, like, let's pray towards that. I think that's good. It's been so good having you, Susan. Yes, oh. thanks for having me. And you can follow Susan. Susan is on social media mm-hmm. um, at um, Susan C. And you can on IG and the same thing. She's Susan um, C.com and on Facebook. So she's in all the places. And we'll put this in the show notes and have this up so that you guys can get some of this wonderful wisdom from this mentor um, for moms. She's just not mentor for moms because I don't have like not nay one children. And she has been definitely a voice um, of wisdom and mentorship um, for me. And so you don't have to have children to to learn something from Susan. So thank you for joining us. And I'm so grateful that um, you're able to kick off our anniversary series um, with your presence and your words. Um, anything you want to do to sound off? I'm just throwing that out there now. Go ahead and say Oh, yeah. Well, I would just say, first of all, thanks for having me. This is great Uh to go back and revisit how far we've come. Because we really started with nothing. You know, we started Mm -hmm. from the bottom. Now we're here. Hi. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) um, it's just incredible to see all that God has done in you and through you. So, Tasha, I just say to you that, you know, girl, keep dreaming and keep fighting for those dreams that God's put in your heart. And I look forward to seeing the ways in which God shows himself mighty and strong through you. Thank you for listening. For more bridge building resources, visit our website at bethebridge.com.